to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Jesus, we thank you for your spirit that's in this place. God, we thank you that your spirit uh, is real, it's living, it's breathing, it's your person, that you come in your very person, that you're here in our midst. Lord, your word tells us when two or three are gathered in your name that you are here with us. God, we thank you that your spirit is not given unto men in measures or in percentages, but you give yourself fully. And God, we ask even in this moment as we are gathered in this place to hear of your word, but more than that, to meet you, God, that you will come in your fullness. Lord, we pray for our very hearts, our very bodies, this moment to come alive in your presence. Awaken our senses to feel you, to hear you, and to know you. And God, we ask even as we open the Holy Scriptures today, God, that you will keep our knees on the ground and our eyes to the throne. That no man will be exalted in the reading of Scriptures, but the Son of Man will be high and lifted up. And God, we thank you for the faithful promise of Scripture that when the Son of Man is high lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. So God, we pray in the reading of the Scriptures today, in the sharing of the Word, that the Son of Man will be high and lifted up, will be glorified in our midst. God, we thank You that Scripture is not just a study exercise or an exposition of an archaic piece of literature, but it's living, it's breathing, it meets us here. So God, we ask for Your Spirit to come in power today. Come in power, come in might, come in your presence. Meet us in this place, we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, as I mentioned, um, you know, this, this first uh, message of the year, we are really just sharing um, what I believe the Lord wants to do in and through our community. And it's a vision charting kind of a message. And, um, you know, a common theme uh, really emerged uh, as you know, I was speaking to our pastors, our staff, uh, some of our leaders, our board, uh, in the last few months of like, you know, where do we feel uh, the Lord is taking our church? And a common consensus is this, you know, that we want to step into uh, the vision of becoming more of a missional community. Now, the word missional community may be a uh, foreign language to you, but it simply means that, you know, we are people gathered in a place for a purpose. Uh, you know, I love our life groups, I love our gatherings, and it's really fun. Uh, you're, uh, for the most part, really fun people, and I enjoy uh, hanging out with all of you. Uh, I love it, and I'm sure all of you enjoy the fellowship, enjoy the community in groups, yes? Yes? But I think, you know, like, if there's like a USP, if you will, or a distinct uh, difference in the Christian community as opposed to like communities that you can find all around the world is that we exist for a divine purpose, we are charged with a divine mandate, and we are people on a mission. And so in this next year, you know, we will begin to unravel what it means for us to step into the vision of becoming more of a missional committee. And of course, uh, that being said, you know, it, will, it will change the way uh, we do church. It will affect uh, some of the events on our calendar. And I know, you know uh, it's not uh, good taste to kind of start off with like a piece of like bad news, but it's bad news, but it's also exciting news at the same time. Uh, next year, in the month of June, we will not be... Oh, sorry, this year. Sorry, I'm still living the past. <laughs> Come on, Andre. Be more present. But uh, this year, in the month of June, we will not be having church camp. 
we will not be having church camp. Um, well, one, in response to this, two, uh, and it's like 5% of the reason uh, we couldn't book Double Tree. And so, you know, <laughs> I'm smart enough to know if I put you in any hotel other than Double Tree, I will have a revolt in this church. And so, Andre is tuned to spirit and wise at the same time. But, uh, but no, but really 95%, maybe 99% of the reason why we're not having church camp is we really feel an unction from the Lord to uh, uh, step into uh, that vision of becoming more of a missional community. And so we have uh, formed the missions committee uh, in the last uh, year or so, and uh, they're actually looking into having trips all through the year, but particularly in the month of June, for the church to uh, get on board on to serve the nation, to serve various communities around the world. And so we are going to do that um, missions exercise in lieu of church camp. And so I want to encourage you to stay tuned for that. I think it's really going to be powerful. Uh, one of the most defining prophetic words we received in our first few years was that the church was to be a missional church. And in missions, in serving communities and the nations, we will see signs, wonders, and miracles. And so that's a word that has so defined uh, the church has, I think it's been given a couple of times at least, and so uh, we're expected, expected for what God is going to do uh, in our midst uh, in this coming year. Amen? Yeah. Right, I want to talk about our church today. Now, our church today is a pretty awesome church, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yes, you know, we have, we, we, are, we have a pretty good thing going. Uh, you know, you might not know this, but some statistics, you know, our life groups have uh, easily double, if not triple, in the last few years. You know, we have new groups uh, that are starting up this year. Many of you have stepped up to the challenge of uh, taking on a group, serving our community. Attendance and giving is really stable. Thank you so much for being faithful in your giving, and it's really because of the giving and the faithfulness that has enabled us to serve various communities through our Love Our City outreaches. But also, uh, we ran the Justice Conference last year. We served the body of Christ at large. We had something like 60 or 70 churches represented in that conference. And so that is all because of your giving and your faithfulness. So thank you so much for that. Uh, we have newcomers coming through the church every week. It's odd to not have a newcomer on a given Sunday. Do you realize that? We have newcomers every week. That is something. That's something special. Our service experience is great. We run great events. We run great services. I think we have a really, really good thing going. But hear me in saying this. Hear me well in saying this. If the church, if our community is all about self-serving initiatives, then we are simply a gathering of misguided, disobedient people at best. Over the last few years, as a leadership, we've fought for health in our body, right? We've talked a lot about emotional health, about the soul, about doing well in your mental state, about having good habits. We talked a lot about exercise. On one Sunday, we make all your climb up the stairs, but that was divine. The lift broke down and it just fit well with our sermon. You know, watch out for that. One Sunday, we'll just all go for a run, you know? And then you all run away from this church. Anyway, uh, and, you know, we, we've done several things really well. We talked a lot about health. And, um, and, you know, it's something that we will continually do. But, you know, I think the danger is, you know, when we are so focused on self, on self-care, on self-serving initiatives, though good, though I believe there is biblical precedence for it, it's really easy to become an inward-looking people, actually lose sight of the divine mandate, mission, purpose that God has ordained for His church. In, in the world. And you are, and I am, His church. You know, I'm greatly and immensely thankful for what we have as church. I don't think it comes lightly. You know, I think it's a real move of the Holy Spirit, but also the byproduct of faithful men and women 
we've really sown and ploughed the ground for you and I. And I'm so thankful. But yet, yet, with all that being said, with all the growth and health that we've seen as a church community, all that we are able to do, I know that there is more. I know that there is more. And you know me, right? You know me. I'm up here a lot of time. I spend a lot of time with you. You know I'm not the like, yeah, let's go do more kind of guy. You know, I'm very slow. You know, I'm like, Eeyore is my spirit animal. I'm a sloth most of the days. Slow. I'm like, you know, do you know that this more, let's do more, let's go after more, does not come off an unbridled ambition kind of a thing. You know, but this more really comes from a deep conviction um, the Holy Spirit that there is so much more that God wants to do in and through our community that this simply is not it this simply is not it what we're seeing do good be grateful be thankful but this is not it this is not it and I feel this unction from the Spirit to just say it don't settle don't settle lean in to the more lean in to the more I think we're so ready, right even. You know, we, if you're a banana, we're yellow. You know, to bring change, hope, healing, the reality of God into our world. I think we're called to do that. I think we're so called to do that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, me and Amy were on vacation, a long overdue vacation, and we went to Club Med. I know, pastors don't go to Club Med, they go to like Jerusalem or something, but <laughs> your, your pastor went to Club Med, Okay. Whatever. Uh, I wanted, my ideal vacation is you just show up, food is there, activities is there, you just, ta-da, you'll be present. And so that was like a very ideal experience for me. Uh, Club Med is actually very significant to me. Uh, I don't know whether I shared this story. Uh, hold on. Don't get ahead of yourself. Uh, but, but, you know, it's, uh, some, it might surprise you, you know, I, I've shared this story a couple of times of how um, you know, I was in a spot where I was done with NS and I was ready to go to uni and I had all these plans for my life. I had my 10-year like, vision mapped out. I was going to do all these things and then at some point, give it all up for Jesus and serve in ministry. And then uh, it was on a trip that I had like a vision from the Lord and it was one of the only times I had that experience. Uh, and all that to say, you know, I decided to uh, go to ministry school and then uh, that's all she wrote. I'm here now. And I was actually on a vacation to Club Med, if you can imagine. I was at a spot uh, reading a book, and then I had that encounter, and then I think I emailed that Pastor Daniel, I emailed Jason, who was then my youth pastor. Uh, but before them, I emailed Amy. No, I texted Amy, and then, you know, it was, it was all great. It all happened there. And so, you know, I this thing of, like, bringing Amy to, like, significant uh, places and moments in my life, and so I decided, uh, let me bring you to Club Med. It's this spiritual thin place that I've experienced. And so I, I went there and uh, it was great. And so we decided vacation there. And uh, I remember on the bus right there, um, they gave us a brochure and there were all these activities like ATV, go see Firefly, go climb a wall, go climb a rock, all these things. Da, 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 da. Now, Amy and I are similar in many ways, but also extremely different in many ways. And so my ideal vacation is like sloth. Show up, read a book build your intellect. Uh, Amy was like, we have to do everything. And so, you know, she was like, we should do this. And then she took out her phone and had like a schedule out. This day we'll do this. This day we'll go climb a wall. This day we'll do this. And all these things she uh, had mapped out. Now, love to say that I was like, yeah, let's do these things. But I fell into like a minor, like, you know, sad spell. I was like, oh man, I have to 
exercise, I have to work. Oh, this is so not vocationally for me. And so, you know, I was like, hey, let's re- reach a compromise. And so we agreed, okay, we'll do a bit of hers and a bit of mine. And so we went there and uh, I, I won't bore you the details, but we went to the hotel room. The hotel room is a bit musky. And so we decided, okay, we won't like stay there uh, in the hotel room for too long. We'll spend more time out. And uh, I kid you not, we were there for four days, three nights. The whole time we were there, it rained non-stop. It rained non-stop. And we didn't get to do uh, virtually anything on Amy's list. <laughs> Who said a lot doesn't have favorites? But anyway, uh, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Amy gets like way more answered prayers than I do. It's just one rare one. And I didn't pray. Okay. It's just a lot knows the secret things in your heart that you refuse to say. Okay. Um, and what, what happened was, you know, we were in this lounge area, which is, a, is interestingly the place where I had that encounter. And we were sitting there. The rain was on one side. The hotel room was there. It was musky. We didn't want to go there. It was raining. And we just spent virtually the whole vacation sitting down in, like, that same spot. And, uh, you know, we were, of course, like, lounging around, enjoying each other's company. But we had... I think, in, in, in my opinion, some of the deepest and best conversations we've ever had uh, as a married couple. We were there, we were talking life, we were talking hopes, dreams, ambitions. We were talking about how we want to serve better, how we want to give more. And it's some of the best conversations we had. It was almost like, you know, with the hotel room being musky, with it being raining, we were like painted into a corner. And it's in that corner, you know, where all the activities and stuff we couldn't do and and the elimination of all the bars and stuff like that, we were then put in a position where we could have conversations like that. And so it was really special. It was honestly like a favorite vacation. I love uh, stuff. I love talking. I love sharing hearts more than doing stuff, to be honest. Um, I, I bring up the story because, you know, I feel like in the last three months, my experience with Scripture has has some parallels. It looks something like that. I feel like in the Bible, in my reading of the Bible, uh, you know, uh, I really felt my first New Year's resolution. You know, I found like a Bible reading plan. It's called uh, Shred, S-H-R-E-D. No, that's a killer name for Bible reading plan. Basically, in a nutshell, the whole goal is for you to read the whole Bible in a month. In 30 days, you go through a whole Bible. And so day one is Genesis 1 to 42. Uh, (laughs) And so I was like, I've done the Bible in one year thing. Most Christians do it, but I am a pastor. I am a minister of the gospel. I can do it in a month. And day one, I was out. I was like, this is too much. Anyway, um, but you know, over the last three months with scripture, with the Bible, I find myself, you know, like I, I will read certain passages, I will read certain stories, and it's good, it's good Bible, but it doesn't, make me come alive. It doesn't click for some reason. And I feel uh, pushed away and constantly coming back to one particular verse in the Bible. And this has been experienced for the last three months. I feel almost I've been painted into a corner where I'm trapped almost and I feel myself constantly revisiting this particular passage of the Bible. And it's been a three-month experience. And I believe it's really significant because I believe that this passage of scripture that I'm about to read to you is for the church, is for our season in life, and it will really shape the course of a church, in, especially in the next year. But I think it will, it will bring so much clarity and make so much sense and uh, really define who we are as a faith.
community. Alright? You excited for that verse? Tell you next week. <laughs> the passage that I want to read to you comes from uh, John chapter 20, verses 21 to 22. But before that, you know, I don't have it up on the screen, but I'm going to read to you the preceding verses before we hit John chapter 20, verse 21 to 22. Are you with me? Have a Bible? Flip it, flip. Nice. My dream church, you know, is like flip, you know, of the pages and sounds like the rushing of many waters and sweet honey and all that good stuff. Now, uh, I'm reading from uh, John chapter 20 and I'm going to start in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, 21, P, uh, said to them, peace be with you. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, this is what we're going after. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. On some translations, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Say those last four words together. Receive the Holy Spirit. One more time. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now this text, or this verse, or this uh, dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples, is the first recorded uh, thing that he said to his disciples post-resurrection. I think it's significant on many levels. Um, but I love uh, the language that Jesus uses uh, in his uh, conversation with his disciples. I'm going to unpack that verse uh, on like a very surface level, but we're going to do more uh, all through the year. The first thing he said, no, I think, uh, let's look at the middle line. It says this, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, theologians and missiologists would point to this verse and this middle line as ground zero, as the origin point for theology of missions. All missions traces back to that line. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He came from heaven level, heaven world comforts and descended into the midst of human darkness to bring life, hope, healing into a broken world. And just as Jesus left the comforts of heaven and came down to earth, the Father is sending you and I into places of darkness, of influence to bring forth His light. Now this is ground zero for theology of missions. And this is the reason why we are stepping into the vision of becoming more of a missional community. But I love that this verse is flanked by those two lines. The first line, it goes, peace be with you. Or in Jesus' mother tongue, shalom. Shalom be with you. Now this idea of shalom is not just the absence of conflict, but it means flourishing. It means life. It means wholeness. It means healing or language that we've entertained recently and emotional, healthy spirituality. That is peace. That is peace. And then he moves on and says that he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now the word that is used uh, to describe the word brief in that text occurs nowhere in the New Testament. It does not occur anywhere else in the New Testament. But uh, that word was familiar from its use of Greek of the verse in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says that God breathed into 
nostril of man and then they became a living being. That same contrast of inanimate to animate, of dead to life, is what is possible for you and I when we receive that Holy Spirit. That contrast of not being awakened to being awakened to the things of God, to the presence of God. That is possible when we receive the Holy Spirit. And that is what we believe that the writer of the Gospel of John is trying to say to us. And receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed into them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This idea of God who isn't just with you. We sang about Emmanuel. We talked about Emmanuel on Christmas Day. He is God with us. He is God incarnate. He is here among us. But receive the Holy Spirit. This idea of God who isn't just with you, He is in you. Leading you, guiding you, transforming you from the inside out. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, without God-given shalom, peace, and the Spirit of God, however magnificent, however well thought out your mission strategy is, or however well-meaning your initiative to serve committees is, without peace, without shalom, and without the Spirit of God, it is a recipe for burnout. It is a recipe for burnout, for failure, for fatigue. Now I'm going to move on from that verse. Many of us today turn to our devices to help us make sense of the world. Young people especially use screens in their pockets as counsellors, entertainers, instructors, uh, educators. Why build up the courage to have what will likely be an awkward conversation with a parent, pastor, or teacher where you can just ask your phone and no one else will be the wiser? This is speaking into our cultural climate. While technological advances, particularly in increased accessibility to information, are advances to celebrate, we've also seen a sharp decline in human connection, increased feelings of alienation, isolation, and loneliness. And for the church, in this cultural climate of access to information, we have become, in the words of Derek Prince, a people who have embraced the sin of independence the sin of independence. Now, that's really strong language. And what Derek Prince means by that statement is in an essence, it is a life lived that does not profess a need for people or God. In this last year, we have gotten really practical with approaching spirituality. We have talked about spiritual disciplines. We have talked a lot about justice, how we can practically serve communities, how we can advance the kingdom of God through daily living, through actions or inactions. But the mistake is that if we entertain the idea that by our commitment to certain spiritual disciplines, by doing it long enough, we can self-engineer for ourselves a life of transformation. Or by thinking of better initiatives or justice, we can self-engineer the kingdom of God on earth. We cannot. We cannot. We need the Holy Spirit. And this life is to be a partnership. But it's not the kind of partnership we think. It's not 50%, 50%, but it is the Holy Spirit who does the heavy lifting. And our little actions in life is our yes to the move of the Spirit. It's our yes to what He is doing. We cannot self-engineer the kingdom of God on earth. We need the Holy Spirit. Here's a piece of good news for you. No matter how much willpower you have, it will never be enough to live the way of Jesus. 
no matter how sad you are, no matter whether you have a martial arts background, no matter how much willpower you have, it will never be enough to live into the way of Jesus. In my own life, my time, my ministry, if we look hard enough, all through the library of Scripture, we will all come to this eventual conclusion that willpower is never enough. We see this reality played out again and again. A habitual sin trumps willpower. A deep-seated father wound trumps willpower. A false narrative that you've adopted as a young person trumps willpower. The truth is this, to live into the way of Jesus, to live up to the commands of scriptures, we need access to a power that is honestly beyond us. And that power is the Holy Spirit. My first message of the year, and I believe this is a, a vision message, this will chart the course for the church for the rest of the year. But beyond that, it's a charge to our community for the days ahead. It is this. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Or in the language of Gordon Fear, Pauline Theologian, God's empowering presence. Now in the coming weeks, I'll really unpack this whole concept of receiving the Holy Spirit. This is part of a vision series that we'll start the year off with. And at the end of the message, this is really exciting. I hope for you to hang around for this. At the end of the message, uh, our pastors, some of our leaders, will pray for every single person here. Uh, we're going to start off the year with an anointing service where we anoint every single person with oil. And uh, this is not just a vain gesture or an act, uh, but in the library of scripture, whenever a person is anointed with oil, it is a symbolic act of saying that this person is set apart for the work of God. But beyond that, I believe in this moment, in this act, as we anoint every single person with oil, it is us as a community saying that we need the Holy Spirit. We need Him so, so much. In a cultural climate where need is seen as weakness, or the profession of need is seen as weakness, we are taught to be self-reliant, self-sustained. The church is to be a place where we profess in great humility our need for God. And in that act of being anointed with oil, of receiving prayer, we are saying, God, we need your spirit in our lives. So we're going to do that at the end of the service. So please don't leave early. Now, um, I'm going to do this really quickly. And so I'm going to talk really fast. And so when you listen to podcasts, just like put it down to 0.5 and I will talk slower. But um, I'm going to unpack... Uh, a few verses to help set the context for what we're about to experience in a moment. And so we're going to begin with Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Can I have my verse up? Okay. Great. And we shall read this. In my former book. Now, no prizes. What is the former book? Luke. Yeah, great. Whew. I've done my job. Uh, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen... After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Hear this. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you had heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now in that text... Who is the gift? There's 200 of you here. <laughs> Who is the gift? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Next verse, we're reading from Acts chapter 2. 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And we're going to go down a few more verses. It's still in Acts chapter 2. It says this, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In this passage of scripture that we just read, who is the gift? It's the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to turn over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And we all know, you know, uh, the story goes on, the gospel spread from Jerusalem down south, all the way 100 miles to the north in Caesarea. In Acts chapter 10, there's a Roman military officer named Cornelius who heard rumors of Jesus coming back from there. And then he invites Peter, one of the early church leaders, to come up to Caesarea to share the story of Jesus to his family and friends. And so Peter preaches the gospel to a house full of Gentiles or non-Jewish people. And look what happens here in verse 44. It says this, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And now the gospel spreads from Caesarea and spreads to the Greco-Roman world in Corinth. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. A number of years later, a man named Paul will plant a church in Corinth, teaching them the ways of Jesus, discipling them, theology, etc. And then he leaves the church in Corinth and goes on to plant many other churches. But down the road, as he was traveling, he starts to hear all these negative reports that were coming out of the Corinth church. It was basically falling apart and breaking apart at the seams. And then he writes a letter to the church in Corinth to basically get them back on track. And this letter is what we commonly know as 1 Corinthians. Or it was from another place in the world, 1 Corinthians. But one of the primary matters that Paul gets to uh, in this letter is what people today call spiritual gifts. We're familiar with their language, spiritual gifts, specifically tongues and prophecies. In fact, all of chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians are about the abuse of tongues and prophecies and the parameters to which God has intended for them to function in. But notice how Paul opens up 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, if you were to read this biblical text in its original language, how many of you know that the Bible did not come to the early apostles in British English? (gasps) You learn something new every day. But uh, if you were to read this text in its original script, the word gifts... It's not really in the text. It does not occur in the text. It, however, appears in the majority of English translations. All your Bible should have the word spiritual gifts. The word spiritual gifts that, that, uh, that, the Greek word that the word spiritual gifts come from is actually the solitary Greek word pneumatikos, which literally means spiritual, spirit world, or realm of the spirit. Pneuma, spiritual, medicals, a plural adjective, spirituals. 
the language of spiritual gifts is really new language and not New Testament language. It's not saying that it's wrong or invalid, but here's my point. We are all too familiar with this, that churches, denominations, there's a ton of division, debate surrounding this whole thing of spiritual gifts, right? Is this gift valid? Does the gift still operate? Is this gift okay? Is that gift okay? And you know, some of us, we approach spiritual gifts like we're X-Men, like, oh, you got prophecy? Well, lucky, I got administration. You know, <laughs> kind of thing, right? And, and it becomes like, you know, a badge of honor, a badge of shame, whatever have you. And we look at it that way, like, oh, you have this gift, I have this gift. There's so much confusion, division, and debate surrounding those gifts because we place emphasis on the gifts. We place emphasis on the spiritual gifts. But for Paul, but for Paul, his emphasis isn't so much the gifts of the Spirit, but the gift of the Spirit. To Paul, the Spirit is the gift. Who is the gift? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift. The Holy Spirit isn't a force that you wield, but a person you can intimately know. Often when we look at the Holy Spirit, we think Star Wars. Don't think about Star Wars. Not, okay, don't think about Star Wars pertaining to the text. Think about Star Wars in other occasions. But I don't get my theology from Luke Skywalker. I get my theology from the Gospel of Luke. I get it from X. And he tells me that the Holy Spirit is a gift, not an inanimate force that I wield, not power gems or stones or skills. He is a person I can know and experience. Bill Johnson, in his commentary of the decline of the modern church, said this, In recent hundreds of years, the church has been prone to camping around a theology, a program, or a methodology. But the children of Israel laid camp around the presence of God. For the children of Israel, Jesus and his followers, the early church, all of their lives were centered around the presence and the glory of God. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our church and in the world we live in. And I love Jesus' language. He doesn't say, earn, fight, or conjure the Holy Spirit. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. It is a gift. And we need this gift for the sake of ourselves, for our community, and for the world that we live in. A quick word on each before we go into time of prayer. Ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit for ourselves. As I mentioned earlier, no matter how much willpower we have, we cannot live into the way of Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. Now, we have done a lot of work pertaining to spiritual practices or more common vernacular spiritual disciplines when we've emphasized the slow burn, pot roast, cooking style of spiritual formation. It is mundane, it's slow, it takes time. But through daily practice, you will begin to see transformation in our own lives. And there's a central place for effort, for self-effort in our discipleship to Jesus. But do not be mistaken that we can work our way, diligent as we may be, into a transformed life. We need the Holy Spirit. God is God and we are not. We need the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence. Quick verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now the word there, transform into His image, or the word transform is the word metamorpho, which, which is where we get the word metamorphosis from. And so picture that change from caterpillar to butterfly or Pokemon from Caterpie to Butterfree. That contrast, that difference in imagery, almost zero resemblance, day and night, that kind of change is possible for your life and mine through the Holy Spirit. It is possible. Gordon Fee in his commentary in the verse says this, Through Christ and by the Spirit, we are being transformed so as to bear the likeness for which we were intended at the beginning. One takes the Spirit lightly at great risk, for herein lies the glory, that by the Spirit we not only come to know God, but come to live in His presence in such a way as constantly to be renewed into God's image. That change, metamorpho, metamorphosis, is possible for your life and mine. And I wonder in your own lives what dysfunctional thought patterns, behaviors, habits that you have been trying to overcome for years. You've put in a lot of hard work, effort, gone to therapy, you have sought all the kind of help that you can get and you're still unable to overcome it. And to you I say, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Next one, Our World. The first two books I read as a new believer okay, was a book on rapture theory. Uh, you know, the first uh, biblical book I read after I got saved, aside from Genesis, was the book of Revelations. And you know, as a brand new Christian at 16 years old, it is very easy to comprehend the book of Revelations. And so, you know, I read it, I had so much questions, and then people started telling me about, like, do you know about rapture, pre-trip, post-trip, whatever trip, kind of rapture, and I was like, wow, this is a new world for me. And so I was like, you know, man, I'm just going to buy, like, the thickest book on the rapture that I can find in the bookstore. And so I bought a theological book on the rapture that uh, underpins like four different varied positions on the rapture. And so that was one of the first books I bought as a new believer. And the second book I bought is a book that I hope uh, most of you are familiar with, and it's a book called Why Revival Terrorists by Leonard Ravenhill. How many of you have read the book? Thank you. Ooh, my heart was sank. But yeah, you know, if you haven't got a book, let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll buy you that book. That is such an amazing book. And, you know, those two books really summed up uh, the twin passions of my life. Like, I'm passionate about theology, albeit sometimes the obscure, weird ones that nobody really cares about. Uh, I'm passionate about that, but I'm also passionate about revival. I'm passionate about the Holy Spirit. I'm passionate about the move of God that I believe can happen in our day and age. That it's not a myth, it's not a legend. It is a reality that we can experience in our time. I'm going to read Habakkuk chapter 3. It says this, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, this verse's backdrop background is actually during a time of decline for the people of Judah. They had experienced a tremendous time of revival under King Josiah. And this actually produced uh, the generation that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Medigo is actually from. And so think about these three boys sold into slavery, into exile, and being able to survive in a host culture that was paganistic. They were the byproduct of that time of renewal and revival under King Josiah. 
And God starts, says at the start of Habakkuk chapter 1, watch, be amazed, I'm going to do something great in the nations. And this was during a time of decline for the people. And chapter 3 is a prayer and response to that. Now a key phrase I will highlight in this chunk of scripture that I just read is these three words, in our time. In our time, Lord. Often when we hear stories of revival or moves of God in Scripture, we almost instinctively disconnect and think of it as something that isn't a possibility in our time. It is way too far-fetched, outlandish. But my prayer is for your appetites to be wet, for holy discontent to rise in your spirits, to long for God to move in our midst once again. Into this backdrop of a world that we are living in, with the darkness that we see around us, are we content with hopeless living? Or do our hearts pine for God to move in power once again? 2019 is a really interesting year. You know, we talk about uh, great things that happened in our midst, but also, you know, 2019, you know, there were tons of shootings and bombings in churches. Um, we were chatting recently about like, a couple more failures that uh, were happening to pastors, and it seemed... Uh, like the church is regressing on many levels. Are we content with hopeless living, saying that this is just darkness that we have to tolerate, signs of the times, or do our hearts pine for God to move in power once again? When there is darkness, you know, the stage is set for the glory of God to come in splendor, in majesty, in power. Uh, Evan Roberts uh, says this, you know, we know him as uh, one of the leaders of the Welsh Revival. He says this, for 10 or 11 years, I prayed for revival. I spent whole nights reading accounts of revivals or talking about them. It was the Spirit who in this way was driving me to think about revivals. Here are a couple of stories to whet your appetites. From 1719 to 1840, there was a move of God known as the Second Great Awakening. Here's a brief overview. It was said that the Second Great Awakening had the greatest social impact of any event in the history of America. This awakening was an assortment of revivals that occurred all throughout America over a period of 50 years. This is a bit of background uh, that, that gives us context of this awakening. It's a bit small, but I'm going to read it to you. Following the Revolutionary War, the United States experienced a moral slum and the churches had become almost totally irrelevant in curbing the nation's downward spiral into immorality. The Chief Justice of the United States wrote to the Bishop of Virginia and said this, that the church was too far gone ever to be redeemed. Voltaire said Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. Church historian Kenneth Flotterday said it seemed as if Christianity were about to be ushered out of the affairs of men and only 5% of Americans in 1790 had formal ties to churches. In 1794, a number of prominent church leaders called for a concert of prayer for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was heartily embraced throughout the nations. This concert of prayer broke out in many locations and sparked off a revival that went on for 50 years. One notable figure during this period of awakening was a man named Charles Finney. Here's a story from his life. Let's have the slide up. It says this, you know, Charles Finney was a 19th century evangelist whose life demonstrated God's powerful presence during a trip to New York Mills in 1826, Finney visited a cotton manufacturing plant where his brother-in-law was superintendent. As Finney passed through a spacious room in which many women were working at looms and spinning journeys, he noticed several young women watching him and speaking among themselves. As Finney approached them, they became more agitated. When Finney was about 10 feet away, one woman sank to the ground and burst into tears. Soon, others were sobbing, overcome with conviction of their sin 
and the presence of the visiting evangelist. The Spirit's outpouring spread rapidly throughout the building until the entire factory was singularly aware of God's presence. The owner and unbeliever realized something unusual was occurring. Templey closed the plant and asked Finney to preach to his employees and tell them how they might find peace for their souls. Finney had not spoken to laborers. He merely entered the factory. God's powerful presence in Finney's life was too overwhelming to ignore. In our time, Lord. Another revival that we might not be familiar with is the revival that happened in the Hebrides. The Hebrides, Hebrides revival that happened from 1949 to 1952. Um, According to testimonies of people present prior to the revival, they confessed that the churches were dead and they were in a spiritual winter. Legalism was extreme, and young people wanted nothing to do with the church. Some of the churches had no young people attending. The people on the island had a form of godliness in that prayer and Bible reading in homes was conducted every morning, but it was carried out as a duty. It was a tradition of those who were converted as well as those who were not. Beginning in November 1949, two sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. Now I have that picture up, Peggy and Christine Smith. They are the two ladies, uh, Flanked up on its side. Peggy and Christine Smith, who at that time were 84 and 82 years old. Peggy, completely blind, and Christine, bent over with arthritis, were burdened due to the depressed spiritual state in their village church. They sensed the Lord speaking to them, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. That's from Isaiah chapter 44. Now one night they were kneeling there in the barn, pleading the promise, I will pour water on him that is thirsty, floods upon the dry ground. One young man, a deacon at church, got up and read Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of God? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul in vanity or sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. And then the young man closed his Bible and looking down at the minister and other office bearers, he said this, It seems to me to be so much humbug to be praying as we are praying, to be waiting as we are waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. And then he lifted his hands, and just as the minister uh, began to speak, he lifted his two hands and prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? But he got no further. That young man fell to his knees and then fell into a trance. What then happened in the bandit was that the power of God swept through into the parish and an awareness of God gripped the community. And this is uh, from first-hand accounts. It says that this presence, how people gripped, was a power that had not been seen for over a hundred years. An awareness of God came upon that village and gripped the hearts of men. Work stopped. People fell into trances. Many were saved as their hearts were gripped by eternal realities in our time, Lord. 1859 is a revival that happened in Ulster, Ireland. Now these are three uh, accounts of, uh, from three ministers that state the background, the context to which the revival happened. The first minister said this, before the revival, our condition was deplorable. We were dead, cold, prayerless, worldly. Two times I tried a prayer meeting with elders but failed the people did not only want did not only not want to pray, they were almost hostile throughout prayer meetings. The second said this there seemed great coldness and deadness. I had preached the gospel faithfully and earnestly and plainly for eleven years, yet it was not known to me that a single individual had been converted. 
the third, this is my favorite, it says, the congregation was altogether Laodicean. The spiritual state was depressing and hopeless. And in March 14, 1859, James McCogan and his friends organized a prayer meeting at a Presbyterian church, and such a large crowd gathered that the building was cleared because the balcony was giving way from the weight of the crowd. Outside the chilling rain, as a layman preached with great power, hundreds knelt in repentance. This was, this was the first of many movements of mass conviction of sins. Now, following that prayer meeting, it was said that uh, there were almost a hundred separate prayer meetings per week that were started uh, in homes, in schools, in barns, in workplaces run by non-pastoral individuals. The revival spread from family to family, village to village, and town to town. Uh, within weeks, 10,000 were converted. Almost every street in Belfast saw conversions. The most notorious sinners, drunks, and prostitutes in the city were saved. Large open-air meetings of about 25,000 were held. One minister said, for, it, for the last three weeks, it has been one continued Pentecost. One usual physical manifestation was prostrations, where men and women, sometimes great multitudes, would be struck down under the conviction and power of God. They will cry out in agony and will rise up, born again, redeemed and forgiven. Some fell into trances and others had visions. One minister said it was worth living 10,000 ages in obscurity and reproach to be permitted to engage in the glorious work of the last six months in 1859. The results of the revival, crimes dropped by half within months. Bars and distilleries were closed because there were no customers. In 1860, judges in Ulster several times had no cases to try. 100,000 recorded converts in Ireland were added to a church. Wales saw a tenth of its population turn to Christ. Scotland reported 300,000 conversions, and England had a much larger harvest than that. To all that we have heard, I say, in our time, Lord, in our time, do we hunger, ache, burn for this? Then a raven here who I chatted about earlier, he says this, a man may study because his brain is hungry for knowledge, even Bible knowledge, but he prays because his soul is hungry for God. In our time, Lord. And that's what we're going after. Now, I don't have time to hit the last one, but with all that we've heard, with all that is being said, today I would like to unapologetically state that this is what we're going after. Revival, renewal, a spiritual awakening in our day and age. That we're not content and satisfied to just do church. As amazing as it is, but we want, we so desperately need the Holy Spirit, not just for our own lives, but for our community and for the very world we live in. We need the Spirit of God. And that is what we exist to do and be as a community. And my heart for, all, for us and all of this is for us to receive the Holy Spirit. To receive the Holy Spirit when He comes in power. No matter how sudden, no matter how strange, no matter the inconvenience, can we become a community where the Spirit of God doesn't just visit on occasion, but He finds a dwelling place, a place of inhabitation among us. Will we receive the Holy Spirit? Is he welcome? This is what we were labeled to as a church until the kingdoms of the earth become the kingdom of God in our city as it is in heaven. And so we echo the prayer of Habakkuk in our time, but not just that, in our time, in our lives, in our community, in our world. We pray, God, make your spirit 
known. We receive the Holy Spirit. So can I invite you to stand as the band comes on stage? Now there are a couple of segments we're going to do before we go into a time of prayer uh, together and a prayer for everyone. I want to urge you to stay here. I know the service is going to go a bit long, but I believe it's going to be really powerful and significant uh, for your own lives. But not only that, uh, it's going to be really powerful and significant for the church as well, even as we are anointed with oil and make a commitment to live into the will of Jesus through His Holy Spirit. I'd like to read a couple of verses to help frame the time that we're about to partake in together from Psalms chapter 23. It says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Next verse from Isaiah 61, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, um, as I mentioned, in just a few moments, we're going to have people in the middle, and we're going to pray for every single one of you. If you're not comfortable with that, uh, my encouragement is, you know, hey, step into it and just try, you know, it... it, uh, there's nothing to lose here. But you know, if it's something that uh, you're really uncertain of and it's something that you don't really want to participate, uh, please uh, feel no obligation. You may uh, just proceed out in the foyer uh, when we uh, begin to make arrangements for this time. Uh, but before we get praying for individuals, I'd like for us as a community, you know, this is a brand new year, brand new decade. Uh, will you join me in asking for the Holy Spirit to come in power? to come in our midst. You know, I've been chatting with so many of you and 2019 has been such a tough year. There's so much uh, impossibilities, relational stuff that people are working through and, uh, you know, I know this is not the most confident, uh, boosting thing to say, uh, but as a pastor, I've come to the end of myself. There's only so much I can do, so much intellect I have. I need the Holy Spirit. I believe you need the Holy Spirit as well. We collectively need the Spirit of God in our place. In view of darkness, impossible situations, we need the Spirit of God. So can I invite you to just lift your hands in this moment and will you join me in asking for God to come in power, for His Spirit to fall afresh on this place, just as He did in the upper room, just as He did in the second great awakening, just as He did in the Hebrides, just as He did in Ulster, Ireland. God, send your Spirit. Come in power. Move in our midst. We receive you Holy Spirit, we invite you to come, move in power, find a place of inhabitation in this place. God, you have a dwelling place among us. Come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice and pray prayers of passion. Pray prayers of desperation and ask, Spirit of God, come in power. In my life, in my family, in my community, in my world, lift your voice. Lift your voices. Jesus, you respond to the present saints. Jesus.
we break humility in our hearts God we ask for more we ask for Holy Spirit God our hearts are so grateful and thankful for all that you have done in our lives in our community in the world that we live in but our hearts ache knowing that there is more that you want to do and God we pray that you will find a place on the earth in your people in this place that you are free to move that you have full reign full liberty and full access to do as you will Spirit of God, we invite you as a church committee. We say yes to the things of God. We say yes to all that you want to do. We say yes, come and rule, come and reign, come and be among us. Spirit of God, we give you access to our schedules, to our time together, to our very lives. Come and rule and reign. Come be Lord of our lives. We give you full permission, Spirit of God. Come and move in power.